The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Why is speaking the truth so controversial now? It seems like most people would rather have lies told to them than acknowledge the truth. Because many people assume that the truth is an inherently painful or bad thing when that is not the case. In reality, the truth heals us and sets us free in much more effective and better ways than comfort, fantasies, stories, and coping mechanisms ever could. In fact, you cannot create stability, healing, or the life you want to create without acknowledging the truth first. Regrettably, telling the truth is sometimes dangerous, especially when it threatens long-standing understandings of how things are supposed to be. Telling the truth or uncovering lies can lead to a loss of friends, status, access to decision-making, or credibility. Telling the truth in an environment of deceit is, according to George Orwell, a revolutionary act. The need, then, is not only to tell the truth, but to confront power with power. Telling truth to power. In this time of heightened awareness, as well as in our daily lives, we must discern truth from fiction. Tell the truth when we see it, or confront lies when they are evident. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. And to open Season 15 with us, tonight's special guest is Neil Kramer, a British teacher, writer, and speaker, specializing in the fields of theology, esotericism, and philosophy. Neil's work focuses on cultivating a deeper understanding of self, soul, spirit, transformation, and divinity. He studies to integrate many classical and mystical spiritual disciplines. His background in Christianity and Hermeticism has helped to foster a balance of both traditional and non-traditional approaches to comprehending spiritual reality. And directly from the Pacific Northwest, his website is neilkramer.com. And as usual, he joins us for the new premiere. This time is season 15. But before I introduce him, let me just read this quote, which sets the ground for today's conversation. It is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. It is better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals than falsehood that comforts and then kills. Neil, welcome back. And you say that the truth divides. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Um, it's it's always nice to punctuate our year with this conversation. And uh, I know we've got a bunch of things to discuss, but there's so many things. Uh, I am well. Life is good. I'm happy to see all the strangeness of the world and the evil being exposed day by day. It's glorious. It couldn't be better. Well, when you and I talked a few days ago, you said that you wanted to talk about truth. And this show is about truth. This is what we've been doing, you know, now entering 15 years. Right, right. But when you say truth divides, please explain. Sure. Well, 
I guess a good place to begin is to check what we think truth is, which, like your work, my work for the last goodness knows how long is also about that. What is truth? Before we talk about it, what is it? What is it to define that word, essentially? What is truth? And I know of perhaps a few dozen very good definitions which we could trot out, but here's one really solid and accurate definition a sort of designation that, in my view, contains everything important, but in the smallest possible space. So this is the definition that I like. Truth is that which corresponds to reality as perceived by God. So that definition is one I like, and it, it contains two very critical components. Firstly, that truth is that which corresponds to reality, i.e. it's something reflective, of objective reality, the state, the form, the function, the meaning, the articulation, the purpose of something, does it correspond with external, distinct, clear, singular reality? Yes or no? So that's good enough. But the second part of the definition is even better, as perceived by God. That's the clever bit. In other words, the fullness of truth, the completeness of truth, the sort of crystal clear high definition of truth is only really available, only really able to be perceived by the spiritual entity that designed and made the world, God, because truth is that which corresponds with that world. So there's a an inference in this spiritual definition that sort of the closer your relationship and modeling of godliness in your own life, the more of reality you'll be capable of seeing. And we are, after all, as it says, of course, in Genesis 1.26, made in the image of this divine being. We, we are corresponding to the image of God in his spiritual assembly. We are flesh rising to spirit. And if we, if we just focus solely on the material world, you know, the symbolically called the flesh, the creation itself, we actually know very little about reality if you're mesmerized by its form. Whereas if you focus on spirit, the spiritual world, the non-physical world, and the creator rather than the creation, we can know infinitely more about truth. So it's what I love about that definition is it, it infers that our relationship with God, it's in that relationship that we can expand our capacity to perceive and understand reality. So that, I suggest, is our working definition of truth. Truth is that which corresponds to reality as perceived by God. Now, your question, so that's, that's our working definition. Your question is, truth divides, you know, what's up, what you're talking about, what does that mean, what, what do you suggest in saying that? I see this very clearly after a long time. At first, it wasn't clear that truth is un unites people, truth brings people together, truth creates a harmony and this and that and the other. I thought that 25, 30 years ago. I, I wondered if that was a cool thing and that was good. I don't think that's true. I, I don't think that ever was true. And I don't think it needs to be true. And there's nothing upsetting about it not being true, that truth divides. And I think a clue to it is, first of all, to understand a little bit of symbolism in uh, spiritual literature. And in this case, we're going to look at something uh, well-known, the Bible, the canonical 
spiritual Christian tractates, literature of the Old and the New Testament. And in, in the New Testament, in Revelation 1, it says, John's writing, and he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, which when he says that, he means I wasn't in the flesh. I was in the Spirit. I was in my, what, you know, an esotericist might call astral or light body. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. So there's a lot of symbolism there, okay? We'll pause there. There's so many things, and we don't have time to go into exposit and exegete, all that kind of stuff right now. But we'll focus on one bit, the bit where it says a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. That sword in apocalyptic literature, as we've just read, represents truth. It's associated with the mouth in particular. It, when, when, as such, it's not about war and combat and destruction as such. In the proper context, usually when it's associated with the mouth, it means truth. And later on, it says in the next chapter, therefore, repent, Christ says, or else I am coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. So again, that's, that's an um, association of truth. And then right near the end of Revelation, chapter 19, right near the end of the whole Bible, it says, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that it, with it he may strike down the evil nations. So first of all, we've got that symbolism, okay, of the sword coming out of the mouth, which is very important because something's being told to us here. Something simple and something poetic, and yet something very metaphysical and very supernatural. And our bit where we now introduce the idea of division is found in Matthew chapter 10. And this is Christ speaking, and he says the following, and I'll just read it for a moment, and then we'll decode it. He says, do not think, remember, this is Jesus speaking, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. 
he who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So we'll, we'll stop there. What are we seeing here, bearing in mind what we just said about sword symbolism? Of course, it's about the human who distinguishes themselves by giving a damn about what is true, even if your own family don't see it, even if your co-workers, even if your society doesn't see it. We've been invited, instructed to care about the truth from God. And the whole of Matthew 10, sort of verses 24 onwards, is about the, the meaning of truth, the form, the importance of discipleship. And that is discipleship to the divine, to light, to truth. Yes to Christ, yes to the embodiment of God in this man, yes. But to divinity, to truth. Truth points to divinity. And these passages explore that truth and the fear of it, the faith of it, the devotion to it, and the focus on a, con a commitment to it, as you might say. So this like lovely hyperbole, this exaggerational language, the magnification of, you know, the separation between a son and a father and a mother and a daughter and whatnot is intentional. Christ is saying, if you love the truth, you have to be prepared to acknowledge those who do not love the truth and instead are adoring of the world, which is not true. It's never true. And that world focus, that world adoration that right now is affecting everyone in every country in the world, this collapse of society, that was the same in 2000 BC, and it's the same in 2022 AD as we record this. The world system was always against God. In Israel today, in Rome, in London, in Paris, in bloody Berlin, in Washington DC, in Tokyo, in Sydney, wherever, they are secular world-focused systems set dead against God. And if you're against God, you are against truth. And the people who knowingly adore the world system and care not for truth are everywhere. They couldn't care less about the reality of government, could they? The reality of COVID, the reality of history, the reality of morality, the reality of the spiritual world. They care only about the sort of world stories of things, the stories of the government, the stories of COVID, the narrative of COVID, the fictional narratives, which again in spiritual literary symbolism is called the flesh, to focus on the flesh, the creature, the dirt on the ground, the lowest of the low. They love people who don't care about truth, what is insubstantial, what's fake, what's illusory. They love it. And this leads to a sort of very willful incompetence and a shameful negligence, which, you know, will be condemned and punished supernaturally. And I wouldn't like to be in their shoes on the last day. But what it tells us is that this place isn't about having a nice time and being together and being in harmony and everything's gentle and nice and kind and forgiving and everybody's okay and everything's right. It's not that. That's not the message of genuine, credible, mature, spiritual literature. The message of literature like we've just read, which is historical, is real, is genuine, in my view. The message of that literature is that truth is going to rip this world apart, 
by design, by design. It's the truth is more important than anything else because it's the sign, it's the marker, it's the hallmark of loving God, loving the divine, because it is indeed an emanation from him. So although it comes down into, you know, should I get a vaccine? Should I get wear a mask? Should I, you know, bank with this bank? Should I shop on this website? Should I buy this kind of car? Should I send my child to this kind of school? That's very nuts and bolts application, of course, when you care about what's real and what's true. That's, that's not disconnected from anything we're talking about. It goes right down into the most intimate human parts of life. So truth is a daily exercise. It's a practice it's not just a decision that somebody makes. You have to work for it. You have to earn it. You have to sharpen your power of distinguishing and discerning truth. And that is essentially why we're here. Because the original humans were given a, a decision, which is, do you want to do your classroom learning in a very safe, immortal realm? Or do you want to do it in a very dangerous, mortal realm? a realm where you will die. Uh, and yet, you'll have the knowledge of good and evil from the ground up. You'll be able to see what's true and false, what's right and wrong. Do you want that? And we said, yes, let's do that. And God's like, well, <laughs> it's going against my proposal to you. It's, uh, it could be considered a sin by some, by others a contravention of will, which is not the same thing. A contravention of advice. Okay, whichever way you look at it, we chose to come to this world. And this world's primary focus is a study in evil, which is the dominant force in this world by design. So you can detect it, so you can refute it, so you can combat it. And anyone who isn't doing that essentially is part of the problem. Like in the matrix, they become part of the matrix, part of the problem. And so this literature, some of it written about 1400 BC, the bits that we've looked at written between sort of uh, 50 and 70 AD, that literature is talking about this problem. It's warning us to say, toward the end, the division will be very stark. And you'll see it not just out there in the world on a newspaper or on an internet screen, You'll see it in your own home. You'll see it in your kids' classrooms. You'll see it everywhere. And that division is the teaching taking place. And although it's sad, and although it's very difficult and painful, if you love the truth, you're in good shape because that's what this is. The worst thing you can do is ignore the truth for the sake of peace. So I absolutely condone and agree with your opening quotation, which was exactly to that effect. You have to stick to the truth at all costs. Now, you can do it with, some, with a great deal of diplomacy and respect and tact and uh, sensitivity. And most often, not always, but most often you should. But occasionally it does require the pickaxe, the sledgehammer, you know, where you've really piercingly got to bring something home to somebody. But that, in my experience, that's not most of the time. Most of the time, if you demonstrate truth. 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.